Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, well, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day over in Avon to our Avon location. And uh, as a dad, want to say to all of you dads, way to go, and all you grandpas. It's a hard job. It's kind of an impossible job at times. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I feel like I'm never good enough as a dad. Can anyone relate to that? I mean, uh, I, I look at some of the, the great dads or great examples, and, and I, I know, like, factually, I'm not a bad dad. Uh, and yet, I never feel like I'm quite good enough as a dad. Maybe some of you guys relate to that. Came across this video. My son Jack and I actually found it together. It's a dad playing with his son. And it's like the kind of dad I wish I always was. But uh, I think you guys will all enjoy it. It's pretty funny. Go ahead and take a look. Hey, <laughs> undercover, Adrian Sanders. I've been telling you for a while. Sir, please. No, no, no. Pull over the car. Pull it over now. Pull over the car. I'm not going to ask you again. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, we got it. He's rolling down. Interstate 15. He's nose down. Pull over the car. Hey. I watch that and I'm like, yeah, I am not that good of a dad. I mean, that, that was just incredible. That's like 10 out of 10 stuff right there. So I want to talk to you today about the times when you are trying to be a good dad or a good husband or a good mom or a good student or just a good person, or you're trying to do some good thing in the world, and yet you find yourself, you know, not doing as well at that as you'd hope. Here's the way we're going to word this question. What good thing in your life right now are you trying to do? Uh, The very fact that you're in church or you're watching online tells me you're a person who's trying to do some good things in your life. What is something in your life where you're, you're trying, you're making an effort, and yet there are moments where you feel insufficient, or moments where you feel unable, or maybe you just feel altogether unqualified. You know, many of us, we didn't grow up with the kind of dad we want to be, so we're trying to be something that we've never really seen, and it makes it difficult. Or the same could be true in your career, or as you try to beat an addiction, or make your marriage work. Where is it in your life that you're, you're trying to do what you think God wants, or at least what you think is good, and yet you find yourself just feeling insufficient or unqualified? 
I would ask who can relate to this, but I know that if you're honest with yourself, there's something in your life where this would be true of you. It's often, often true of me. I want to take you into the story of a hero in the Bible. We call him a hero because of how the story ended, but all throughout the story, he felt exactly this way. His name is Moses. And Moses' story begins with him trying to do a good thing. Moses was one of the Israelites or the Hebrew people, but they were enslaved in the land of Egypt. In fact, this is a rendering of what Egypt would have looked like at the time, a world superpower. Much of the infrastructure is still there. You can travel over there and see the pyramids and the sphinxes. I mean, this was a a high-tech civilization at the time, world superpower, and yet God's chosen people were slaves in this foreign land. And when Moses realized that he belonged to God's people, at first he tried to get justice with his own hands. He actually murders one of the Egyptian soldiers, trying in his own power to do a good thing, to set God's people free, but trying in the wrong way and in his own strength, and it didn't work. And so he runs off to the desert, and he's out there for about 40 years. And eventually God shows up and speaks to Moses. Now it's interesting, God shows up and speaks when Moses is actually going out to worship God and there's something there. If you want God to speak to you, if you wanna hear God lead in your life, keep doing what you're doing today. Worshiping God, seeking him. You're gonna hear him when you're doing that. When you're running away from him, you're less likely to hear him. So God shows up to Moses with this burning bush this kind of little miracle to get Moses' attention. And God says, I'm going to send you back to Pharaoh, and you're going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And and Moses knows this is impossible. And God says, believe it or not, Moses, I'm big enough, I can do this. Now, I love how Moses replied, because uh, this is one of my favorite things about the Bible. You might think since he's a hero of the faith that he'd be like, sure, God, I believe you can do it. Let's go. But here's how he answers. Exodus 4, verse 13, Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Anyone, God, I mean, if you're God and you could do this, you could use anyone, right? So why me? Send anyone else. I remember that video we saw with the little toddler in the driver's seat there of that parked car. I remember when my kids were that age, when they would wake up at two or three in the morning crying, and this was often what was going through my mind. Lord, please send anyone else. Hated getting up in the middle of the night with the kids. And to be fair, Mel did 98% of that because I hated it so much. But here's what's interesting. Moses had been so grieved about the slavery of his people, and it turns out that all along, God cared just as much. And whatever it is in your life where you're trying and there's angst and there's grief that you're falling short, guess what? God cares just as much. God wants to work in that area just as much as you do. And it's normal for us to be a little bit like Moses when God shows up and says, hey, I'm ready to do some miracles in your life, for us to to at first be like, well, wait, I don't think I'm qualified. Shouldn't, if you're gonna do something like that, shouldn't you choose someone else? Moses says this four or five times. Here's two more examples. I love Exodus four, verse one. Moses says, 
what if I do go to your people and tell them God sent me, he's gonna set you free, and they don't believe me? And what if I tell them, hey, follow me, we're gonna go to the promised land, and they won't obey me? That's a pretty great verse for parenting, isn't it? What if they won't believe me and will not obey me? I mean, as your kids get older, that verse is going to resonate with you at some point, okay? God, what if they won't believe me or won't obey me? And actually, as parents, it's the same thing as Moses. Don't worry about them. Worry about God. You believe God and obey God. He'll take care of the people you need to lead. Exodus 3, verse 11, talk about feeling inadequate. Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I that I should be the one to lead your people out of Egypt? Sometimes I feel that way. I look at how amazing my kids are and what God has wired into them. And I think, man, Lord, couldn't you have picked someone better to be their dad than me? Who am I? It's a normal feeling when God calls you to something. Here's what we're learning today. This is so important wherever you feel unable or inadequate. Your limitations cease to be a limiting factor when you join God in what he is doing. Does that make sense? You do have limitations. Where you feel inadequate, there's probably some truth in that. Moses was correct that he was inadequate. In fact, Moses in some passages was very specific. He said, God, I'm not eloquent. I can't speak in front of people. I'm not the man for the job. Moses had real limitations, but those limitations no longer limited him when he attached himself to the work of God. Your limitations are no longer a factor if you attach yourself to what God wants to do in you and through you. Does that make sense? Your limitations aren't the ceiling. Your choice of if you'll believe God and attach to him, that's the ceiling of your capacity and what God can do and will do through you. Well, Moses' life beautifully portrays how God often works in our lives. And we're in this series called Experiencing God. It's based on a book by a guy named Henry Blackaby. We have that book for sale in our lobby. If you're online, just ask one of our chat hosts. And I would recommend the book in audio. I don't know about you all, but these days, it's pretty rare that I sit down somewhere quiet and open a book. Most of the books that I read... I listen to while I drive or walk. So even if you don't consider yourself a reader, you can get this book, Experiencing God, on audio. Uh, If you just look for it on the internet, you'll find it. And I'd highly recommend it. It's a really good narrator. It's a really great listen. And in this summer series, we're going through this study because we've seen it change a number of people throughout the years. In fact, as a pastor, uh, as I get to work around the country, I'll often meet people and I'll say, when was your breakthrough with God? And it was very often this series, Experiencing God. So if you will lean into this, I believe you'll see God do some things in you that you will look back years later and you'll say, wow, that was a, a turning point, a leap forward. Here's a diagram from that book, Experiencing God. And the idea is this, that God is always at work. Number one there, that big arrow to the right. God is always at work around you in the world. This for me, of all seven of these principles that we'll learn over the summer, to me, this is the one that I most needed in my life right now. I needed this reminder that as a dad, as a pastor, as a husband, as a man of God, 
God is already at work, and I don't have to generate the work. I don't have to do something. God already is at work. And really, experiencing God is just the process of me reorienting my life to become a part of what he's doing. Now, because we're Americans and we like things simple and easy, we want to skip from number one over to number seven, experience God, right? Like, okay, God's at work, just boom. Can't I just like push a button and experience him? But you can't skip these numbers two through six here. And we'll learn those in the upcoming weeks of this study every weekend here in June and July. And you just can't skip them. I wish, I wish you could, but you can't. Here's one way to think of it. That arrow that you see to the right is almost like a river that has a really strong current. And God is working in every generation, in every civilization, in every century of history. God's work is unstoppable. The Roman government couldn't stop it. Uh, the Nazi Germans couldn't stop it. Mussolini couldn't stop it. China can't stop it. Whatever agenda or force of evil grieves you in the world today cannot stop the work of God. It's unstoppable. But the question for you and me is whether or not we will be part of what God is doing rather than asking God to be part of what we're doing. And that's where these steps two through six are so important. Step two is you having a relationship with God. If it's your first weekend with us or, or you're fairly new to the whole church thing, it's so important for you to know that, that what Jesus wants for you, what God wants for you is not religion and tasks and duty. God is your father and where your earthly father was imperfect, he is perfect and he wants to be in relationship with you. Just like the dad in that goofy video. I mean, that real. God wants you every day when you experience something good, to receive it as a gift from your heavenly father. Every good and perfect gift in life comes from your father. And when life is difficult, he wants you to know that he's there with you and he's weeping with you. And when you don't know what to do, he can guide you. And all of this, a real relationship with God is possible through the person of Jesus. What he did on the cross when he died for your sins and rose from the dead. If you've never believed in him before to be your savior, call out to him now and just say, Jesus, I want a relationship with God through you. Forgive my sins, adopt me into the family of God, and he will. After you have that relationship and you start to walk with God, which means you obey him in the things that he's clearly stated, like be part of a Bible-believing church and seek God through his word and through prayer, he will start to invite you into things. And number four, there will be times where he speaks and he nudges and he whispers and when he speaks, it usually means you have to leave something or give something up or do something just like Jesus laid down his life. And then number five, you'll have a crisis of belief. This isn't the belief of your salvation, but this is the belief of, do I believe God that if I let go of this alcohol that has always helped me when I had too bad of a day, that my father in heaven will help me when I have too bad of a day. And that's a crisis of belief that that you'll encounter if that's been a crutch that you've depended on. Or a crisis of belief of, I've always counted on my success or my money or people liking me. And your father will say, I am sufficient for those things. Release what you were holding on to. Allow me to fulfill you. Allow me to be your identity. And as happened with Moses, things will happen where God says, hey Moses, guess what? Before you existed, I already had a plan to set the Israelites free from Egypt. 
And now I see that that grieves you too. I will invite you into my work. But now Moses has run away from Egypt. He's out in the desert. And his crisis of belief is, will he believe God enough to march back into Pharaoh where he's got a lot of baggage, for lack of a better term. There's family baggage for him with Pharaoh. And he's going to have to march in there and say, let God's people go. And he knows that humanly speaking, it would probably end in him being killed. But he's just going to have to trust God. So it's because Moses chooses to believe God in a crisis of belief. Not pretty. He doubted a lot, just like I do and you do. But he ultimately chooses to obey. Then number six, he adjusts his life to God's course. And number seven, he experiences God. So this is a a pattern that we each walk through in our lives as well. Now today, I'm not going to unpack deeply any one of these. I just want you to have a sense of the overview. So let's go just one layer deeper into each of these very briefly. Reality one, God is always at work around you. God is always at work around you. Earlier, I asked you, what's the good thing that you're trying to do, but you find yourself inadequate or unable? Here's what you need to know today. God is already at work in that situation. Uh, Maybe you're grieved about um, a, a child of yours and the things they're choosing to believe and the direction they're going. Guess what? God is already at work. He's eager to work in their heart, in their life. You can't change their heart But if you will open your eyes and ask God to work and say, God, show me where you're working and show me how to join you, he'll show you that he's already there. God was already at work when Moses encountered him. There's a true story in the book of Experiencing God about this prison in Louisiana called Angola Prison. It's one of the most formidable maximum security institutions in the country. One of these prisons that has a death row, it's full of murderers and rapists and some of the most violent, evil, cruel people. Vast inmate population. Years ago, a new prison warden, the boss of the prison, a new warden was hired. He happened to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian. And his church happened to be going through this study experiencing God. Well, around that time, he witnessed an execution, a murderer who was on death row who had gotten a death sentence. And as the prison warden, he's there. And, you know, he does his part overseeing all the different workers of ending this guy's life. He's driving home at the end of the day. And he realizes as a Christian, he never even took the time to say to this inmate, you're about to die. Do you know where you're going? And it grieved him. He said, God, what can I do? And he saw how God was using this experiencing God's study at his, ch- at his church. And so he just decided, let's just get these experiencing God books. And any of the inmates who want to use the study, they can, they can start this Bible study called Experiencing God. So God began to transform lives through this study. Many awaiting execution became Christians. In fact, so many prisoners became Christians that seven different little churches congregations formed within the prison. And some of these former murderers and and, and worst of sinners start to become little pastors of these little congregations in this prison. And in fact, this continued to spread to where a seminary, which trains pastors, 
created a satellite location in the prison. Here's a picture of one of these guys, former stone cold murderer, who placed his faith in Jesus, starts to become totally transformed, and then goes through a whole seminary course. Now, most of these guys are serving life. So their ministry is going to be within the prison to the other inmates. As time went on, some of these guys would request transfers to other prisons to go as missionaries to a different prison population so they could also experience God. Here's the point. God had already been working in the midst of one of the most demoralizing places in the country. He was just looking for someone with enough faith to join him. You know that God is at work in our public universities? Do you know that God is at work in our schools? Do you know that God is at work in your workplace? He's at work at Eli Lilly and at Rolls-Royce. He's at work at Brownsburg High School and Avon High School. He's at work in your family as dysfunctional as they may be. He's at work in your neighborhood. He's just looking for people who will be in close enough relationship with him to hear him say, I want someone to just step out and do this. I'll provide the power if you'll provide the obedience. Reality two, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you. This is so important, especially if you come from a really churchy background. Some churches over the the centuries have added on a lot of tradition and they've made Christianity to be kind of a performance thing um, or a heavy burden but it is a love relationship. This book, the Bible, is really a love letter from your creator, from your heavenly father to you to help you live life and to make sure you know you have eternal life. God wants a personal relationship with you that is real and that is fulfilling. The scripture speaks of this over and over. And if you don't have that relationship with God, then you're not really gonna be able to experience him because you're gonna think you have to perform for him. He doesn't need anything from you. But, but you're not going to experience him until you come to him with a pure heart that says, I want to know you and I want to experience you. Reality three, God invites you to become involved with him in his work. I think if you were born uh, and your father was like a master craftsman, forgive me that everything with me goes back to a car analogy, but, you know, imagine that you're, you're, you were born like in the 1960s and your dad was one of these guys who would handcraft the V12 of a Ferrari, okay? If you really want to know that guy, you want to get to know him and experience him, he's going to invite you into his workshop. He's going to get you a little miniature set of tools. He's going to start to teach you what he does. And part of having a relationship with a dad like that is that He's going to naturally invite you into his work because he's so absorbed in it. And in the same way, ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and they separated humanity from God, God is at work restoring. He's a master restorer of all creation. And if you really want to get to know him, you'll get to appreciate his work. He restores marriages. He restores identities. He restores relationships, including your relationship with God and everyone you see in your daily life. He wants to restore them to him. And so as you live in relationship with him, he gets you a little set of tools. And he says, join me in the most fulfilling and important work of the world. 
That's part of our vision here. We are adding locations because Brownsburg is consistently full, and we want to restore as many people to God as we can in central Indiana. And also, part of our vision, our calling, is that we raise up the next generation, our sons and daughters. Because there are certain things in Scripture that are clear that they're God's will. And he says one generation should declare to the next the faithfulness of God. Here's a, a little quote about that part of our vision. It's that today's connection point, kids and students, would be tomorrow's Christ-centered leaders all across central Indiana and even around the world. And, and this is part of our calling as a church that we know this is God's will for us. You might wonder, what does that look like? I want to show you an example uh, from Oklahoma University from the NCAA Softball World Championship. If you haven't yet seen this, this is just a beautiful picture of a young person who was raised to know and love Christ and is now thriving in her specific gifts, and she's taking God with her. She's joining God in his work. This is the kind of mindset we pray for for our kids. Go ahead and take a look. Dear Softball, I fell in love with you when I was a little girl, always carrying around my glove, throwing tennis balls off the wall, and hitting with my dad in the park. I played with the boys when there was no softball, and then finally switched over once recruiting started, and that's when it started to get serious. I hungered for competition and strived for excellence, but for a while, you were something that my hands had such a tight grip on. My identity was tied so tightly to a game that leads to failure almost all of the time and I rode the roller coaster of emotions. Then I met Jesus. I learned I have a loving father who died for my sins and has a plan for my life, a plan to give me a hope and a future. My perspective changed when I realized you were just something I did, not who I was. Jesus tells me who I am and I wanted to bring this light into the softball world and play the game differently. I was so blessed to have the opportunity to attend the best university in the country and play for the best program imaginable. Yes, winning a few national championships and winning some personal honors is amazing, and I will never take that for granted. But it is so much greater than what goes on on that dirt. First, I have met some of my best friends and my future husband at OU. Praise the Lord. But even more so, the Lord has given me a platform to shine a light that the world tries to dim. The expectation is to idolize you. And the promise is that true joy comes from reaching a goal that you have put all of your effort into. Yes, we as Christians are expected to work hard at all that we do for Christ, but the real victory has already been won on the cross, Jesus dying for my sin and saving me. Because of this, I have an eternal hope that allows me to play your game free with fullness of joy that comes only from the Lord. With this mindset, I have played the most joyful softball the last five years. What's crazy is that this joy doesn't come after big wins, home runs, championships, etc., because all of those things will fade away. I am filled with a steadfast joy when I see one of my teammates decide to get baptized and become a sister in Christ. I will never forget worshiping with my teammates, singing the song Nobody in center field after winning the second national championship. God is so awesome. My prayer when I started college was that I could be a vessel that the Lord uses in his kingdom to bring others to know him. As I leave college softball, I pray that others can know how loved they are by the creator of the world and that Jesus can use you in mighty ways. You just need to be willing and obedient. I'll end with one of my favorite verses. 
Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Sincerely, Grace Lyons. <laughs> Pretty awesome to see that on ESPN. You know, there's, there's a lot of things in our world that are, are downright evil, and there will be until Christ returns. He said, you know, the, the days will be evil. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, disrespectful. He, he, the world we're living in is very much what he described, and yet he's always at work. And you think of college campuses and all the things that happen ideologically and morally, and in the midst of that, God is at work. And God's at work in Brownsburg. God's at work in your life. He's looking for people to join him. And when I saw that on national TV, I thought that's exactly what we're, we're praying for. We're praying for a generation just like that, that they're in the world, but not of the world. And they're shining the light of Christ uh, right in the darkness, right where it's most needed. Reality for God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible. He'll also speak through prayer circumstances and the church when you're in a movement of Bible-believing Christians. Now, I'm not going to unpack these next realities because these are upcoming weeks in our studies, but I just want you to get this sense of overview. Reality five, as you're in a Bible-believing church, reading the Word of God, praying, walking in the Spirit, God's invitation for you will be to work with Him, and it will lead you to that crisis of belief. Just like that beautiful video we just saw of Grace Lyons, multiple-time NCAA champion, captain of her team, kind of pinnacle of sports right now, there was a moment when she had to decide, is softball my God or is Jesus my God? And making Jesus her God didn't mean she had to stop playing softball. But she knew that in her heart, she had a crisis of belief. What am I really living for? And, and as you hear God and walk with him, you will have similar crises of beliefs. I love this quote, God's assignments have God-sized dimensions. I love that. I mean, think of that, of grace. Here she is now influencing not just one NCAA team, but an entire sport having nationwide influence. If you had said in high school when she was 16, hey, God's going to use you in this way, it would have been like mind-blowing because God's assignments have God-sized dimensions. Dads and moms, grandparents, as you raise that strong-willed, stubborn kid, and you know which one I'm talking about, guess what? That kid may be a future leader who has a stubbornness that when the whole world says you can't follow Jesus, that same stubbornness you're dealing with now is gonna say, oh, yes, I can. Right? God's got a plan. He's got God-sized dimensions for what he wants to do through you, through our next generation in this church, through us as a movement. And it's not us coming up with a dream and saying, God, will you bless this? It's us surrendering our dreams and saying, God, I want to obey in whatever you have. And as we do, we discover it's way bigger <laughs> than what we would have come up with on our own. Reality six, you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he's doing. We'll unpack that in future weeks. Reality seven, it's then that you come to know God by experience. You've come into relationship with him 
you've heard him. Obeying him will cost you something. You choose to obey. You redirect your life. And then it all comes together and you start to experience God. Doesn't mean there won't still be challenges. For example, Moses, after he chooses to do all these things and he overcomes his doubts, he acknowledges, okay, God, I'm inadequate, but you're adequate. I'm insufficient, but you're all sufficient. And he goes to Pharaoh and it's a long, brutal process. And Pharaoh finally says, get out of here, Israelites. And Moses is thinking, okay, God's doing this. So he's leading a million people and they're marching out of Egypt and then Pharaoh changes his mind and sends the most equipped army in the world at the time to chase them down and just massacre them. And in that moment, it had to be like, okay, God, I was experiencing you, but I I don't know if I want to keep experiencing you. This is difficult. It's the story of Exodus and it's told like this. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me in this moment? Moses is like, God, why? Why did you, why did you put me in this situation? God says, tell the Israelites to break camp. Or in other words, get moving. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I am going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go into the sea after, and I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army and his chariots and his horsemen. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all the night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them. And on their right and their left, the Egyptians set out in pursuit. Then the Lord said to Moses, once they get on the other side, stretch out your hand over the sea again so that the waters may come back onto the Egyptians on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea returned to its normal depth. But the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. The sea closes back in on this force of evil. The Egyptians, it was, this is literal history, but they're a symbol for us of any kind of slavery, any kind of sin, any kind of evil that raises its fist against God. He'll take care of all that. Obey him As you experience him, there will be battles. It will be dramatic. It's not going to be boring. And then you see him show up. I mean, if you've been with us the last couple months, you know we were praying for a location over in Carmel. And the way God did it, the way he provided the building and the funding, and the way I've seen so many of you step out and, and step into that parted Red Sea to say, hey, I'll do my part. It's been nothing short of a miracle. It hasn't been easy. I got to tell you, it's been a little stressful for me, but God has done it and I'm experiencing him and there's nothing else in the world like experiencing God. And God wants this for us as a church, but he also wants this for you as a dad, for you as a mom, for you as a student, for you as an employee. The bottom line is this, God is at work reconciling the world to himself, and he wants to invite you to be part of it. So 
you hear us around here use this phrase of raising the strongest generation. What do we mean when we say that? Well, really, it's that video that you saw of Grace Lyons. That's the end result. That's what we pray for. Now, not every kid we raise here is going to be an NCAA Division I athlete. And some of you parents might just need to brace yourselves for that, okay? All right. <laughs> I talk with one of my, my kids a lot about being a writer because they have a gift with words. And but I have to be careful to say, hey, that's just something you could do. God has a plan for your life. Don't let me define it. God has a plan for your life. And um, let's make sure we're raising our kids to say, seek God Give your life to serve him and others. He'll show you what career that looks like. But here's what I do believe, that 15, 20 years from now, there's going to be attorneys and lawmakers and homemakers and engineers and business owners and uh, teachers and professors all across central Indiana who grew up at Connection Point locations, who got a deep biblical training of the word of God who have an active relationship with God, and just like Moses, they're hearing God's nudge in law, in education, in business, in every area of life in central Indiana, and they're going to be living for him just like you saw that softball player doing. I know that's God's will for us, and, and I'm so grateful to be part of a movement where when that requires us stepping out in faith, you guys are with me on that. I cannot thank you enough. I'm seeing many of you uh, who I know you're just with me on it. And let me show you just a little of what we're doing around raising the strongest generation. This is from a couple weeks ago. My wife Melanie's in here somewhere. This is her cabin at middle school camp. And she was texting me updates at middle school camp of how God was at work. Um, three gals in her group who'd been invited by friends who placed their faith in Jesus during the middle school camp. Here's one of the worship times, and I love the, the words at the top of the worship, in the cross, all right? They're gathering around the cross. Here's what happens 52 weekends a year in our Kid City location here at Brownsburg, as well as over in Avon, that we are teaching our little ones to point up to God, to see him as bigger. We're doing this every single week. By the way, if you're here at Brownsburg, um, our kids population <laughs> has grown tremendously, both by birth and by new families, okay? So this is great. And so if you're here and you're not yet sure where to serve, uh, we background check everyone who works in the kids area, and we also train you. And if you don't yet know where to serve, we would love, our kids team would love to have you work in kids. So when we say kids, we're referring to birth to fifth grade. And then when we say students, that's kind of our language for sixth grade to 12th grade. So uh, kids and students are always looking for volunteers because some of those areas are twice as big as they were a year ago. Uh, but every single weekend, we're raising the next generation. 365 days a year, here's a, a gathering that wasn't over a weekend with some of our high school students uh, just being prayed over and really encountering God. I want to give you a, a little bit of a overview, if you will, of how our kids ministry and our student ministry, so birth to fifth and then sixth to twelfth, how they work with this new program we're developing called Worldview. What is Worldview? Very simply, it's the lens through which you see the world. And because our culture has become a post-Christian culture, meaning after Christianity, a church can no longer just teach some things and assume that a person believes there's a God and that he's just and that there's truth. 
A lot of these things are either debated or uh, completely denied in our society. And so as a church, we're continuing to do the incredible students and kids ministries that we already have, but worldview is us layering in deeper teaching around questions that our kids are naturally having in this day and age, such as, um, how do I know the Bible came from God? How do I know if the Bible's historically valid? How can I know if Jesus actually lived? What does the Bible say about sexuality? If the Bible says that about sexuality, how do I be a loving Christian to my friends who disagree with that? These are the kind of things that we have to be teaching our sons and daughters, and we are at Connection Point teaching these things to our sons and daughters, and largely through a new curriculum that we're developing, and we hope to someday share with other churches, that we, we call worldview. That's kind of our, our bucket, if you will, our label for saying some of these deeper things that we've got to be addressing with our kids to make sure that they know the Word of God is the standard for everything they do and believe. So I can't go into great detail about all that today, but I want you to have an overview of it. And I want you to know that little paper that was on your seat is one example of a roadmap. Now, if you're here at Brownsburg, that is the eighth grade roadmap for this next year. And here at Brownsburg, um, we have a specific roadmap for every grade six through 12. So if you're here and you're a 6th to 12th grader, or if you're a parent or grandparent uh, of a 6th to 12th grader, out in our lobby afterwards, you can get the roadmap for their specific grade. Over at Avon, 6th through 12th grade has one Avon roadmap that you can also get in the lobby. I'm not going to walk through the whole thing. The, the point of the roadmap is this. That is not everything that's available for an 8th grader. But what is on there are these deeper opportunities that we want to make sure your student does not miss. And so we literally put a color map with gold star stickers so you can know these are the dates do not miss. Don't schedule vacation on these dates. If you won the softball tournament, you might just choose to not go, you know, to the next thing on one of these dates. These are the really, really crucial, really crucial ones. Things like the reliability of the Bible, a biblical approach to sexual identity, teens and technology. So that's just the eighth grade example. Here, I'll introduce you to two of our worldview team leaders. On the left is Dr. Zach, Bible answer man of sorts. He's got his PhD and he can answer in a loving and kind way pretty much any question the kids have and is great with a lot of these especially through middle and high school, very normal questions that kids will have about the existence of God or of evil or other things. And on the right is Trey, who also just has a real gift for connecting with our young people. So on your way out today here at Brownsburg, grab your map in the lobby. If you have a question for Dr. Zach or Trey, you can ask them over in Avon. We've got your Avon roadmaps as well. So what is God's will? Well, there are many pieces to it, but we start with doing what is clear. And here's what he says in Proverbs 22. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. So this is part of God's will for us as a church. And as a church, we're doing our part. I want to make sure as a mom and dad, you know, to not miss those specific events for your son or your daughter. You know, moms and dads, part of raising the next generation we as a church, we can provide curriculum and camps and small groups and experiences. But the reality is that a mom or a dad will spend you know, thousands more hours with a child than we ever will. 
And, and so we'll do our part, but we want to train you to do your part. And a big part of that for you is making sure that your kids see that you serve and that you give because that lets them see that Jesus is at the center of your life. And it's not like you're just living the American dream and Jesus is kind of over here on the side. Uh, your kids live with you. My kids live with me. They tell me things I do that I'm like, ooh, yeah, I guess you're right. I, I do that. And they see it. And one of the best things you can do for your kids is just you yourself being like Moses, being in relationship with God, listening to him. And when he shows you something he wants you to be part of, step out to do it. Uh, here's a family that did that about a year ago, Brandon and Katie Yone. They were part of our Brownsburg location here. They love Brownsburg. They have lots of friends in Brownsburg. And as we started to talk about launching the Avon location to reach more people for Jesus, walking in relationship with God, they sensed that nudge. I want you to be part of what I'm going to do in Avon. They had the crisis of belief. But God, our friends are in Brownsburg. Why would we do that? We love Brownsburg. But they kept seeking God together as a couple. And then they adjusted their life and they went to serve at Avon. Avon in, in that time has doubled in size. 15 new believers have been baptized, but something else is happening. Brandon and Katie, who show up every Sunday to set up and tear down, and Katie, who's in there almost every week leading the kids' ministry, helping lead the kids' ministry at Avon, their kids, who you see standing there with them, that's what they're seeing in mom and dad. This is what life's about. It's not about money. It's not about success. Those things aren't bad, but life's about serving God and others. And the kids are catching what can't just be taught with words. I got to be at Avon a week ago today. Had so much fun being over there with you guys. Ron was preaching here and it was so fun. I knew Brandon and Katie's story. It was so fun to get to walk into the kids area and just see them in action with my own eyes and, and see their kids watching mom and dad serve. Another couple that stepped out a year ago are Ben and Julie Metcalf. And I love their story. If you ever get to talk with them, when Denise from our team approached them and said, would you go to Avon? They said, we knew you were gonna ask and the answer is no. We love being at Brownsburg. But then they prayed about it and same thing, crisis of belief, God made it clear. They moved over to Avon. I'm not saying this is God's will for everyone, okay? But it was God's will for those two couples. And we do believe there's a few others that God's going to send out as well. A week ago today, I got to meet this couple, Chad and Kate. Chad and Kate's story is different because a year and a half ago, they weren't going to church anywhere. And when the Metcalfs started going to Avon, they invited Chad and Kate to go with them. And I knew a little of their story, but I found out another layer a week ago today when I was hanging out with Chad in the lobby over at Avon. I said, Chad, I'd love to get to know you a little more. He said, yeah, you know, the Metcalfs invited us. He said, what they didn't know is here's what was going on in my life. He said, at age 19, I became a train conductor, like an engineer who, you know, drives the train on the tracks. He said, I did that from age 19 to 42, so over 20 years. He said, John, a lot of people who want to end their life, that's how they do it. They either drive in front of a train or they jump in front of a train. He said, in those 20 years, there were 10 different times that I'm sitting there at the front of the train 
and someone moves in front of it to end their life and I slam on the brakes and it's not gonna stop. And I've, I've, I've just lived all these years with this trauma of 10 people that I've killed was the language he used. So then the Metcalfs invited us to church and we live in Avon. <laughs> As he's telling me this, his teens are in the teen area and his wife's in there with them. He says, John, I tried everything to get over that trauma and that PTSD. And then I got baptized here at Avon. And ever since, I've been better. God's always at work in the world. He's inviting. Will you this summer in the, the busyness and the fun and the relaxation, just walk with him? Just invite him to whisper to you. Tell him you want to be in relationship. Tell him you want to be in his workshop. Tell him you want to join him in his work. And then whatever he reveals to you, reorient your life, adjust your life to it. Let me pray that for you right now. Father, God, I thank you so much for saving Chad and Kate, their precious, beautiful family. I want to thank you for how you used Ben and Julie Metcalf in that. I want to thank you for how you've used the Connection Point Avon location to do that. God, we know that there are thousands of families, thousands of dads like Chad who are secretly carrying paralyzing burdens that only you can set them free from. And God, we pray as a movement in every one of our lives, may we be like Moses and join you in setting the captives free. May we walk in a love relationship with you. May we join you in your work. God, we pray for these future locations that you'll use us to reach thousands of families like Chad and Kate. We pray for our next generation that you'll raise up warriors of grace and truth who know that this world's not their home, who find their full identity and purpose and security in you. Lord, use us to do things that have God-sized dimensions. Your work is unstoppable through history. You've invited us into it. Lord, show each of us as dads, as moms, as sons, as daughters, as students, as employees, as grandparents, show us our part. We'll do our part, Lord. We commit that to you today. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.